1: Ain't my first time at the rodeo almost heaven West Virginia Blue Ridge mountains Shenandoah river life is old older than the trees younger than the mountains
0: like a breeze, country roads, take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia, Mountain mama,
1: take me home, country how's everyone doing today, I have a really cool episode, And it's one that I had been looking forward to for a long time because I recently tossed those gross synthetic endocrine disruptors we call birth control pills out of my life. And I've never felt better. So in the spirit of empowering myself and empowering other ladies... I wanted to have this discussion with Dr. Nathan so we can clear up a few things on women's health and where this whole quote-unquote birth control movement came from. Dr. Nathan is a holistic OBGYN, and this episode might not necessarily be for the male members of my audience, but it's still cool because he goes into the history of how it was women healers and goddesses and all that. And why has it turned into women aren't worth anything unless we're working nine to five or what happened to the mom staying at home with the kids and pregnancy being this beautiful thing and Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get into it. It was first thing in the morning when I had this interview with Dr. Nathan, and I had set an alarm, and me being the fabulous Sagittarius that I am, I hit snooze about 18 times, and then I realized the interview was going to start in 30 minutes. So I ran, hopped in the shower, uh, got a cup of coffee, and got straight onto the podcast. it was still an extraordinary conversation. I think most everyone will love this episode. Little bit of housekeeping, of course. Hats, shirts, whatever you want. I got it for you on the Cosmic Shop link in the show notes. I also have the Beloved Holistics website, which is where you can check out some more from Dr. Nathan and his podcast, which is really awesome. Ladies, I really recommend checking that out. It's nice to get away from conspiracies a little bit and just go back to some natural health every once in a while. So this is kind of where we're going in this episode. Of course, let me know what you think. Drop a five-star review if you love what I do. Um, Anything else? Anything else? We're nearing the end of the month, so uh, if you want to get your questions in, go ahead and do that at the uh, cosmic.peach.podcast on Instagram. It's almost my birthday. I don't even know what I'm going to do. I'm getting old. I'm an old woman. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's enough for now. Let's jump right into the episode. Here we go.
0: Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping out on the streets. The traffic starts jumping folks like me on the dark from 9 to 5. Working 9 to 5. What a way to make and living ain't getting by It's all taking and no giving Just use your mind
1: everyone. You are listening to the Cosmic Peach podcast and I have a very special guest for you tonight and I've been very much looking forward to this conversation. We have Dr. Nathan who is a holistic OBGYN on tonight and he's going to answer all of the questions for us. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All the questions. <laughs> All
1: the questions. Where did this whole birth control thing get started, and uh, why we should not be on them? <laughs> so, Doctor Nathan, how are you?
0: I'm. I'm great. I'm doing great. I'm in my like cozy sweater. It's chilly here this morning in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm happy. I love starting my days off with like. Juicy conversations around controversial topics.
1: <laughs> yes, me too. That's the best way to start today. I just got out of the shower. I'm looking a hot mess, but I'm just happy to be here.
0: Yeah, likewise. I, you, you, look, you look fabulous. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Um, but so where does this whole story get started?
0: It depends on how far back you want to go. Um, if, if we want to go back, I mean, we could go as far back as, you know, um, we could look into antiquity as to why would we, you know, how, how can we, how can we understand historically how we got to a place where it has become so commonplace to give somebody a synthetic endocrine disruptor and for that actually to be considered the norm. Um, and I say norm because not because I think it's normal, but because it's so common the the data suggests that anywhere from 15 to 25 percent of women who are of reproductive age, so roughly 15 to let's say 45, are on some form of birth control. Specifically, the birth control pill, which is um, it, it remains a very very easy option. There's no procedure. You just hand them a packet of pills. Their ovaries shut down, and then they get a bleed once a month on a 28 day period. Um, like on a 28 day, uh, let's say routine, but it's not really a period um, because you're not cycling. And a lot of women are just like, that's cool. I don't have to bleed. Well, where did we get the language around the pesky bleed? Like, where did that really come from? And I think that in order for us to understand where we are now, I do think it is helpful to look all the way back as to how um, and we don't have to go too far into detail. But since the earliest written human history, we, under, we, we, we can all probably understand quite easily that women had this, this sacred power of bringing life into the world that was inextricably linked with nature. You know, we even had, used to have deities um, somewhere, um, you know, in many polytheistic societies, there would be deities that were prayed to, um, to bring the green shoots up in the spring. Mm-hmm. And that was you know, roughly the period of time when people were actually having sex themselves. There was a lot of sex in the spring because it was this window of fertility mm-hmm. for, for plants and animals and humans alike. So um, fast forward, and now we have a revolution, so to speak, whereby women don't have to have babies. You, you can be on these birth control pills and not only not have babies, but heck, Forget about that pesky period altogether. But is there some reason to have a period? That's the big question. And as our cosmologies have changed from a more polytheistic, perhaps even androgynous female deity um, sort of cosmology, we now have a man residing over nature, just as men kind of reside over women in healthcare. Which sounds like a stretch, but it's really not. In our society, women are not valued for being women, but they used to be honored and worshipped for the very mm-hmm. function that they provided, which was bringing in and nurturing children and the sick You know, throughout history. This is where the original midwife came into play. They were really caring for the sick, for women giving birth, and for children which you know everybody thinks now of as a nurse but that was really the original doctor like there was not a lot of healing practices around so the people who were sitting with the dying sitting with the um with the young taking care of the young caring for women giving birth like that was a pretty important function in our society nowadays you're not really valuable if you're not working and not producing for the man or for the powers that be whatever it is so we've had this perversion of what it means to be a woman and I don't care to get into the, the conversation around non-binary and that's that to me is completely irrelevant. What's, what's more relevant is that there has been a, a dilution within our society as to the role and the value of women. And nowadays, I don't, I don't see it as unreasonable when women are like, I can't work because I've got 12 days of bleeding every month. And mm-hmm. it, it's embarrassing, it's, it's exhausting because I'm losing all of my heme iron, you know? And,
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: um, and so, you know, it's advertised as the solution to the problem of being a woman without a really clear expose of perhaps the downsides of not only disconnecting you from your endocrine system, but also the other perils that birth control poses on the, the, a woman's body.
1: Is the menstrual bleed kind of like a detoxification of your body throughout the day? Like when you're having your menstrual cycle, you kind of like get some bad stuff out that needed to come out?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the language that I use is that it's a bit of a reset switch. You know, your body knows that it needs to shed the lining. And from a very physiologic standpoint, that's exactly what it's doing. You've got this lining that is built up over the first half of your cycle. You ovulate. If that egg doesn't meet a sperm, then there's no purpose for all of that lining that was built up to stay there. It's very energy taxing to maintain a reproductive system. If there's not a baby that's going to be born there. So the, the purpose of your cycle is to shed that lining, which you could describe as a cleansing process. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a, there's, there's a ritual, there used to be ritual around bleeding. You know, it used to actually be this sacred thing where you would actually go off and kind of rest and digest and replete Mm -hmm. yourself. But now it's expected that it doesn't matter if you're bleeding, you need to, to get to work. You need to be doing the same work as a man, so to speak. Um, Because men don't have much to offer society unless we're producing something. So if you want to be valuable, and men we've determined are more valuable than women, based on changing cosmologies alone, um, you're going to have to step it up. And one way to step it up is to stop that bleed.
1: Oh, I just love you so much. (laughs) So there's a lot to unpack there. First, I want to ask you, what is it that women on their periods experience that we we mistake for a
0: period bleed Are you talking about some reasons why a woman might be experiencing bleeding that isn't actually cycling? Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah,
1: so like I would I've been I was on them since I was a child and I would get a period every month, but that's not a real period, right? When you're on birth control pills it's like it's something else.
0: It's something else, yeah. So you are shedding that lining. But Uh, We've disconnected you from the sort of natural process. So it it used to be that when we didn't have all the distractions and the EMF and all the other stuff in our life, that we would be under the stars looking at the moon. And as the moon went through its various phases, most women almost in synchronicity would start bleeding around the full moon in general. Now, I'm not going to say everybody had that experience. But if 80% of the women in the tribe, so to speak, are bleeding and you're not, that would be some, you know, cause for concern. And you might actually consider, why is this woman not bleeding on the moon? It's the full moon. Why isn't she bleeding with the rest of us? Mm -hmm. And we would start to investigate it. Nowadays, everybody's, you know, haphazardly cycling and that's fine, whatever. We may, we're probably never going to get back to that, you know, to go back to primitive times. That's not necessarily what anybody wants. Um, because we have so many nice creature comforts now that keep us safe and warm and fed and whatnot but the 13 moons the the months the 13 moons used to be sort of a standard thing and now if you're on birth control you're going to have three weeks of taking a pill that has synthetic endocrine disruptors they're not hormones they are they're designed to disrupt your endocrine cycle Your endocrine cycle being your hypothalamus, your pituitary, your pineal gland, which has been, been, you know, otherwise dubbed the seat of the soul, the third eye, this type of language. You've got your thyroid, your adrenals, you've got a whole bunch of of endocrine organs, namely your gonads and everything I've mentioned. So Mm -hmm. gonads in men are called the testicles, the gonads in women, the ovaries. When you introduce something that is, is intentionally designed to disrupt that system, there's all these other issues that arise. But for the purpose of just talking about bleeding, you're getting three weeks of synthetic endocrine disruptors, which are also known as hormones, but that's, they're not real hormones because your body makes hormones, but these mimic hormones. And then there's one week where you're taking a pill that has none of those chemicals in it. And due to the, the lack, suddenly you're not taking those synthetic hormones anymore your body experiences what's called a withdrawal bleed. And this happens in your period as well, but it's, fr- it's under the normal in, uh, influence and withdrawal of the, of the natural hormones that your body produces. So without those hormones in your normal cycle, you get a drop in progesterone, for, for example, whenever you don't uh, the, uh, the egg doesn't meet a sperm and the lining of the uterus just topples and it comes out. That's your bleed. In this case, you're giving these synthetic chemicals and then bam, you're not giving a synthet- synthetic chemicals. So your body does have a, a bleed in the same way, but it's not the same. It's not, it's not cycling the way that nature in- intended it. So you're not really cycling. You are causing a bleed in order to prevent endometrial cancer. Because if you don't get the bleed, the those cells that are supposed to be shedding, they just stick around and then they start to transform and mutate. And then you get, you end up with problems. So this, oh my this is god. Why. This is why women who have abnormal cycles naturally their doctor says we need to get you on birth control and there is some real concern there if you're overweight if you've got PCOS if you're not ovulating for some other reason you might just get that that lining building up building up building up building up until it becomes precancerous and then we have got a problem. So so this is the ad this is the way it's advertised. The other issue though is that we're not just targeting the ovaries and the uterus with these these pills. It upregulates proteins produced by the liver that bind up other hormones in your system, throwing your other endocrine organs out of, out of whack. This is under the influence of birth control alone. Um, You have most of your serotonin receptors, a large part of your nervous system, in other words, lives in the lining of the gut. Your immune system largely lives in the gut. 70% of your immune system lives in gut associated lymphatic tissue. So Mm -hmm. when you take pills, especially you disrupt the microbiome, you disrupt the lining of the, of the gut, you end up with protein slipping in what's called leaky gut. You have a disrupt, dysregulation of your endocrine, immune, and nervous systems. And that's why women who are on it are like, great, I'm having a monthly bleed, but I feel like hell. I don't feel like myself anymore. What is going on with me? And the doctor's like, hey, that's, that's typical. You're fine, whatever. And they get or get gaslit for five to 10 years. And nobody ever investigated why they're not having 13 months, 13 cycles. Remember back then, 80% of people... Are bleeding at the full moon. Why aren't you bleeding on the full moon? They would have then investigated. Maybe they would have used some, you know, gentle, you know, remedies mm-hmm. or whatever to get you back on path. But instead, we say, "Oh, what a pesky bleed! Let's just put you on this pill." Ten years later, you want to get pregnant, and nobody ever investigated why your periods were off in the first place. So we've done you a disservice <laughs> threefold there. And, and wow. not to there's one last thing before I stop chatting, and that is that women have been inextricably linked with nature, which is why our cosmologies had to change from gods within the earth, providing shoots and roots in the spring to a God residing over the earth. That's the man in the clouds. That's the Christian theology and really the Abrahamic theologies. That's our, our, our Muslim Judaism and, and Christianity and all of its different lenses. So if women are inextricably linked with nature and nature is, is uh, consistent with earth itself, mother earth, Gaia, Pachamama, et cetera. Now we've got a God that's residing over women would otherwise remain linked to that magic, to the magic of Gaia. But now we've disconnected you one step further with a pill so that now you're no longer cycling with the moon. You're cycling based on a synthetic hormone and it's not really even a cycle. So I'll stop there.
1: Ooh, you dropped the hammer on me. That is exactly what I wanted to hear. So thank you. And I stopped taking mine empowering myself. I stopped taking mine in July this year. Haven't had a period since. Two pregnancy tests negative. Is this normal? Is my body freaking out? You think? Or,
0: hmm. are you feeling weird? Like, do you feel like you're not yourself?
1: I feel or better either. than ever since I stopped taking them. I feel like I have more energy. I feel like um, I'm happier, but at the same time, I'm like, maybe I'm so happy and have so much energy because I'm not having a period.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But I do encourage everyone to stop them. So I wanted to kind of lead by example, because everybody kept telling me like, you're trashing your body, you need to get off of them, you need to get off of them. So I got off of them in July. And my husband's freaking out because he's like, you haven't had a period since July, you could be three months pregnant right now. And I was like, no, I took two negative pregnancy tests, but I feel like I was on them for so long that my body's taking extra time to adjust to like a normal, like actually having a cycle.
0: Yeah, you know, for years, so birth control became more mainstream, probably back in, I want to say in like the 50s or 60s, it was really when it came to be you know, this new opportunity for women to break free of this pesky cycling business and get to work. And of course, if women were pregnant all the time, which in the past, you might have 10 kids over your lifetime, you might have 20 pregnancies over your lifetime, and half of them die. The point being that you're always pregnant, because you're always ovulating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every mm-hmm. month. And, um, and so it was this like, hey, the women are, could contribute to Productive labor, if they weren't <laughs> in labor, <laughs> if they weren't giving, having babies, that's great. So, so it was a really great way for us to to amplify our GDP by getting more women into the work into the workforce. So there, I mean, you could argue that that's a good thing. I, I'm not saying that there's a good or bad, but it's important to understand historically how we got here. So back then, it was pretty it was pretty standard. Like you would just get to your doctor, and bam, you're not having cycles. What a great relief from the bleeding and the pregnancies and all of that, but we weren't really collecting data, you know, and, and, and I should also mention birth control was not ever intended to prevent pregnancy. It was actually originally intended for people who are not having normal bleeds. And we knew that that was going to be a risk factor for other things. So we had these synthetic hormones that otherwise are only seen in, you know, by, you know, produced by the ovaries. Now we could, we have, we have these hormones synthetically. What can we do with it? And then we learned, oh, wow, this also, of course, prevents pregnancy. So that's actually the main reason that it 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 took hold. But you can, we give birth control for a variety of reasons apart from just mm-hmm. pregnancy. So I just want to say that. But as women are, you know, starting to menstruate, you know, maybe, I don't know, how old were you when you had your first period? Do you remember? Twelve. Twelve. So that's on a little bit on the early side. Um, I'd say that I think the average is probably around 13 to 15. Um, a 12-year-old may not feel equipped, based on how society is set up, to really be managing a very heavy, irregular bleeding pattern. Yeah, early it was
1: year. awful. I was in fifth yeah. grade, and I had to go to the bathroom. And I think a teacher had to help me one time, like, understand maxi pads and yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah, and so, you're using tampons at 12. You're just no. using a pad, right? Mm-hmm. So these issues are so sensitive for the reasons you just said. You're expected to go to school and to do all these things just like the boys, but you've got this really embarrassing thing. And, you know, add to that with our Catholic and Protestant roots, predominantly in the United States, nobody ever said, hey, you should be proud that you're a, you're a woman now. You've transitioned into the maiden, right? You're not a child. Mm-hmm. Um But that's not what we tell young girls. It's a, an unhygienic. There's a shame. There's a, there's a guilt. There's this, all this weird stuff. And now, Hey honey, you can get pregnant. So stay away from those erect penises. Mm -hmm. So you better take this pill. So you go on that pill at whatever age 12, whatever, you know, who, wherever you start. And, um, You go through your life, you're developing still as an adolescent. You don't know what your baseline is and your baseline becomes whatever you feel on those birth control pills for five to 10 years. When you come off, some people feel completely elated. Some people feel down in the dumps because you're now figuring out who am I now that my, my endocrine system is not being overhauled by this synthetic disruptive chemical. So what you're experiencing, I think is very, is very, uh, I think it's very important to talk about because most women, when they come off of long-term contraception, they feel better and they came off because they were like, I don't want to have sex. I don't like my partner. I don't even think I like, guys." like, I don't know who I am.
1: I was having the weirdest, So I always thought it was normal because I didn't know anything else, but I had like Low sex drive, all of those things Good. that birth things. control pills do. And yeah. then when I stopped them, I was like, This is amazing. I'm a bad bitch. I'm out here living my best life.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. I also do worry about, and this might be somebody out there listening who's taken birth control pills for a really long time. Now they want to stop. What's yeah. their chances of getting pregnant, Slim?
0: Do you mean do you mean as a result of coming off the birth control is that what you mm-hmm. mean?
1: Yeah, like does it screw you up for a year or it, longer? It, it or? really
0: it really depends. It really depends. Um so we we so there's there's a couple parts, a layers to this question, a couple layers. The first is what was the indication for birth control from the very beginning? Did you have some endocrine disruption and that's what was causing the abnormality in your periods? Usually we don't know when you're 12 to 15 because your body is still trying to figure out this delicate balance. Um The, uh, the way that your periods start, we actually don't fully understand, but we know that the hypothalamus is talking to the pituitary. Those are two parts of your brain and the hypothalamus sends something called gonadotropin releasing hormone. And the pituitary gets that signal and sends out follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, which goes down into your bloodstream and, and has receptors on your ovaries and other places, but mostly your ovaries what we know is that if you give a steady stream of GNRH to the pituitary, a steady signal, it's like one one beat uh, you know, every second, it doesn't really do what we need it to do. In fact, there's actually periods of the day where you get a pulse of this, and then there's a long pause, and then you get another pulse, and then there's a long pause. And so this pulsatile faction is actually what is required. It's not a steady linear relationship, you know, on an assembly line. So yeah. When you're young and you start to develop this signaling pattern, you're not necessarily getting a pulsatile pattern. You might just be getting a drop or it might be one drop and the next week you get another big surge and then you get a drop later that day. Like it's all over the place. So while you're in your adolescence, your 12 to 16 year period, your body is trying to figure that pattern out, which is why putting you on birth control is problematic because it doesn't let that signaling pathway um, kind of work itself out. On the other hand, if you had normal periods and then you were put on your period on the birth control, um, you know, pill at or whatever at age 25, but you had totally normal periods, you were just like, I don't want to get pregnant coming off of birth control. In that case, you still have your intact system taking the birth control away may with time, maybe three to six months may allow that system to figure itself back out. Um, But again, perhaps at age 25, you were put on birth control because something was disruptive upstream. And nobody ever looked into it. So the whole clinical picture is that depending on the reason why you went under birth control, was your endocrine system fully developed when you went on birth control and has the birth control pill done significant damage to these other systems I've laid out. Those three factors play into what can I expect when I come off of hormonal contraception? And we've been talking now for how long? For what, 20 minutes?
1: 34 minutes.
0: So 34 minutes, we've talked about this. What woman is getting 34 minutes to really discuss these things with their doctor?
1: Never, Never. ever.
0: Never. You might get 20 seconds, let alone 34 minutes. Mm
1: -hmm. So the
0: point being that women are starting to ask the question, this actually lays in, you know, gets into what you were asking before. Is it normal to have this issue afterwards? I think only now are we starting to actually listen to women to understand that they feel like shit on birth control. They feel better when they come off. And they're looking for other options apart from these synthetic hormones to dysregulate their system. They'd rather honor the system and try to figure it out through more natural means so that they have this thir- these 13 cycles per year on average. Mm-hmm. Um, so your experience coming off the birth control pill, I can't say for sure. I would say I would expect a period of at least three to six months until you feel like you're fully back to normal. And it may be longer given any of those factors that I just mentioned.
1: Oh my gosh. That makes so much sense too. I, I wasn't, I didn't have my period one week and my mom had me at the doctor. So my system never developed. I'll just tell you that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I do have to also say they claim that it helps with acne. It caused me acne. My skin has never looked better. Since I stopped, actually, I had on my back, chest, face, and I stopped them in July, and it slowly, actually, has started to clear up. So that's another myth of the birth control is that it helps with acne. I think well, it causes- well, hang
0: on. Well, there's a there's a caveat. There's four different categories of progestins. Those are the synthetic progesterone components. The fourth generation does help with acne through a very kind of funny way, and uh, and that is by downregulating androgens in your in your bloodstream. It it does have a a, a skin clearing effect, but those other three categories, which are far more common, uh, because that fourth generation also comes with a high risk of blood clots and when I, There was a there was a, a brand called yasmine, and that was really it was really famous for that. But the others the other types absolutely can. So there's always. Mm there's always layers to peel back here. In your case, it actually made it worse. So if the doctor says it couldn't have been the birth control, well, I, I came off of it and my skin cleared up. So <laughs> what do you mm-hmm. say, about that, you know? Yeah. Yes. So I just really what get do that you think about,
1: uh, what do you think about when they are giving you, uh, like when I go in for a yearly exam, you know, the scrape and smear and all of that, um, mm-hmm last time they did blood work and they said, you, um, you might have polycystic ovarian. Uh, I, and I was shocked and I think that it was caused by the birth control pills because like you said earlier, my system never developed. I've only ever been on the synthetic. So when they said that, I was like, nobody even in my family has this problem. And then I talked to one of my friends and she goes, oh, they told me I might have that too. And I Hmm. go, what are you talking about? So that is this just some surge all of a sudden with women with PCOS?
0: That's a great question. So PCOS, we really don't know too much um, about why this develops, but you've got a combination of things happening here. You've got a dysregulation in your endocrine system, meaning your ovaries are not responding and not ovulating. You get the development of these little follicles. And usually what happens is around the halfway point in your cycle, you've got two phases. You've got your follicular phase. That's what the phase where you're developing the thick uterine lining. And then you have your, your ovulation. And then you have your luteal phase during this follicular phase. You've got, I don't know, maybe 10 follicles per ovary. It could, be a, it could be even more than that, developing on each ovary. And then at some point of those 20 follicles, one follicle is just going to be more sensitive. It's going to dominate over the others. And it's actually going to feed back to the brain that, hey, feed me preferentially. The others won't be able to keep up. That dominant follicle is the one that ruptures, releases an egg. And that egg sails through the fallopian tube to meet a sperm if a sperm is there. In PCOS, for whatever reason, you don't get a dominant follicle. So what you have is all these follicles keep developing. And because there isn't one that dominates, the others don't fall away. They all just kind of stay sort of medium, small or medium size. And when you look at on, on ultrasound, what, we, what you see is the string of pearls, meaning there's all these little follicles all around the, the periphery of the, of the ovary, but none of them has, has opened up to release their egg. So that's one issue. The other issue is that there's a pattern of insulin resistance, which is why women with PCOS tend to be a little bit more overweight. They tend to have uh, uh, maybe a higher hemoglobin A1C, which reflects poor blood sugar control. Um, They also tend to have a little bit more body hair in unwanted places, around the nipples, on the chest, maybe even on the chin and uh, on the face. So this combination of things, not ovulating, having too much androgens, and having resistance to insulin, androgens are the male hormones. Men and women both have them, but men have them at about 10 times the amounts, if not more than women. Androgens are responsible for the hair growth. And what we know about these, these follicles that are developing is that the dominant follicle is the one that can most rapidly convert androgens to estrogens. So there's, a, there's, there's all of these little players involved in this syndrome, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it's more than just you have a bunch of follicles on your ovaries. There's 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 more to it. And that tells us that we're we're looking, we need to look beyond the pelvis. We need to be looking beyond the ovaries to find a solution. So when I work with women who have PCOS, and and by the way, let's remember there is now, because we are listening to women, there's now a syndrome called post-birth control syndrome. The the uh the issues yeah that may arise because we've now been finally listening after 50 years of using these, these horrible chemicals. We've got skin issues. We've got fertility issues. We've got hair loss, digestive issues, um, migraines, weight gain, mood disorders, anxiety, depression, all of those things, which are related to all of the bad things that it does that I talked about before with the immune system, nervous system, the gut, the endocrine system, et cetera. So you've come off birth control. You are now in a state of endocrine dysfunction. We know you are, we intentionally did it to you. That's what the pills are meant to do is disrupt your endocrine system. So I'm not speaking woo woo here. Like that's actually pills were designed to do. They kept you from getting pregnant. Aren't you thankful? Well, now that you're off that and you want to get pregnant, you've got a messed up gut. You've got a disrupted immune uh, nervous and endocrine system. And now all of those things that I just described actually fit perfectly into what we call PCOS. So PCOS could develop de novo, meaning it could just happen because we have something that triggers this anovulation, May, meaning maybe you do have full-blown diabetes and you're just not taking care of yourself. Maybe. Um, could it be that you have a whole bunch of crap in your food system that's that's actually disrupting your endocrine system, like xenoestrogens, uh, like these uh, sort of plastic-like, products and fragrances and neuroendocrine disruptors found in your shampoos like all of that can contribute um and uh so i I guess i've kind of already already stated that so all of that stuff can contribute to de novo but if you were on birth control we've intentionally disrupted your endocrine system and pcos is an endocrine primarily an endocrine issue Why wouldn't PCOS be able to, you know, why couldn't it result from being on birth control long, long time?
1: When doctors
0: say it's not possible, they're just not asking the question because it's obvious that it could happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you go onto Google, everybody will now go into Google and they'll, and they'll look to see, um, I just typed it in to see what would come up. Do Mm -hmm. hormonal contraceptives cause PCOS? And there's like a Healthline article. Don't get your news from Healthline. Contrary to myth, the birth control pill does not Cause PCOS. Well, great. That's what young women are reading. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first hit.
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Um, All of the hit. I mean, the next one, another MD, a fellow of ACOG, same credentials as me. Birth control do not cause PCOS. I mean, so all of the doctors, all the experts out there are saying it doesn't. Must be the problem. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That just interests me to know it because I've never heard this stuff from my doctor. My doctor comes in and he says, hello. And he asks me what I do for a living while he's down there poking and prodding around. And then he's like, see you next year. Here's a year's worth supply of birth control pills. Let me know yeah. if you need anything. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, nobody has ever talked to me about this. So I have a selfish question. Um, There, there's been a lot of uh, women in my life who had really hard pregnancies, gestational diabetes type pregnancies. Um, I came out like upside down, like facing up and like my arms came out first, like hard pregnancies. And um, I do worry that if I ever had a baby, I wouldn't be able to do like the natural birth thing. Cause that's what I would want to do is have like a midwife and be in a little jacuzzi tub and just water birth, Woo, natural nature. And I'm scared. I wouldn't be able to do that because one, I've been on birth control pills so long, my body screwed up. And second, a lot of the women in my family had, had difficult pregnancies. So could you talk to us about like how safe, natural births are because i know that's another question i get asked a lot is like would you ever do a natural birth or do you think that's like medieval and i'm mm-hmm. like people do it all the time i think right yeah.
0: so you use the word safe is riding a bicycle safe
1: mm, depends <laughs> hey
0: that's the right that's that's the right answer is riding a motorcycle safe
1: Depends.
0: How about driving a car?
1: Mostly safe.
0: <laughs> How about flying in an airplane?
1: Mm, yeah, you have. I for me, riding in airplanes is a trust thing because it's like I trust you to land this bad boy safely because <laughs> I'm putting. Right, my yeah, I mean, we're talking picture. about
0: a hundred thousand pounds of metal soaring through the sky at 350 mm-hmm. miles per hour. Doesn't sound safe, but hey, we all do it on a regular.
1: Yeah, right, trip. right. Right,
0: um, is uh, eating McDonald's safe?
1: Absolutely not.
0: Well, I mean, it, you know? there there might be people who live to 105 and they eat McDonald's every single day. So again, it depends.
1: They got, the, they got alien DNA if they're <laughs>
0: McDonald's. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember these like old people, like George Burns, who died when he was like 101. He smoked cigars all day every day. Mm. Like cigars, I think kept me going. You know, and it's it's he's being silly, but right, the smoking cause is smoking safe?
1: No, but most people
0: would say no. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. not everybody who smokes gets cancer. So smoking Mm -hmm. does not cause lung cancer. Smoking, you know, predisposes you to a higher likelihood of developing lung cancer. Riding a motorcycle predisposes you to a higher likelihood of smashing your brains on a telephone pole. But I ride my motorcycle and I don't think about, oh my God, this is so unsafe. I think I'm glad I know how to ride a motorcycle and I better be cautious about the cars around me. Mm -hmm. Um, if I, if I drank alcohol while riding a motorcycle, that safety factor starts to dissolve, who knows how safe it is. So the, the reason I'm bringing this up is that when we use words like safe, dangerous, risky, um, it's a good idea or bad idea, whatever, these are all relative terms. So in a natural childbirth, when we say it's safe, does that mean that there's absolutely nothing that can go wrong? Of course not. Is there absolutely everything that can go wrong? Yeah, that's also a possibility. And the same goes for a, whenever you say natural birth, I'm guessing what you're saying is you're having a baby at home with a midwife. Right,
1: a home birth, sorry. Yeah, a home birth.
0: So a home birth versus a hospital birth. The hospital has the ability to do surgery very, very quickly and perhaps save the baby. But what's important about this is to remember that the person who's going to be operated on or have interventions in childbirth or whatever may have a different value system, which is not in alignment with the value system of the person who is recommending the, the interventions? So, if the doctor says it would not be safe to have a home birth, I recommend a C section or whatever, I recommend an induction or whatever else, the person who has to make that decision may have a different value system. And the scarier thing, you know, um, between something bad happening at home with a home birth versus having a hospital birth where there's a cascade of interventions and maybe even a C section. Between those two, they may see it riskier to be in the hospital and they may feel safer, so to speak, at home. And this is where the medical system has 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 missed the mark. It's not a matter of what is safe or not. So you're asking a good question, but it's the wrong question. The question is, where do you feel best having a baby? Because if you have a baby, if you start your labor somewhere, and you don't feel safe or seen or warm or cozy or that people are listening to you, the stress and the fear that, that arises within your nervous system is actually disruptive to physiologic childbirth. So, so imagine you're like a, a, a lioness out on the prairie, and you're going to squat down and push your little cub out. Well, now you hear growling in the woods. Your labor will stop immediately, and you may run 50 miles per hour in the, in the other direction, and then you can start your labor again but you sensed it's not safe to be here. And we know that this happens. We know that this happens.
1: That's beautiful.
0: So for humans, why would we be any different? We still have a limbic system. We still have a, a lizard brain, you know, atop of which is this really complicated cortical brain, but we still have a flight or fight just like anybody else. And if a person is scared, if they feel um, assaulted, if they feel raped in their labor, because somebody shoved their hand where it doesn't belong without getting consent, that can disrupt the labor process. So, So to say that it's safe to have a hospital birth, I would, I would venture, I I would ask that person who's challenging the home birth suggestion, talk to somebody who had a hospital birth and then chose without any hesitation to have a a home birth in their next pregnancy and ask them why. And they're going to tell you a whole range of things from, I don't feel like I was listened to. I feel like they, they scoffed at my birth plan. I feel like they were intervening. They weren't consenting me to Pitocin and I don't feel like I was given a fair shake in counseling around C-section, whatever it is. So a lot of women are walking out of the safe hospital birth, feeling far more traumatized than the person who made the decision to have a home birth because they wanted to stand in their own sovereignty and exercise their autonomy, um, which isn't often the case <clears throat> in a hospital system. And when you're not allowed to act like an adult, even though you're a decisional adult, that in and of itself, that stress can, can integrate as trauma or let me say the lack of integration of that stress can result in trauma. So many women are having hospital births. They have healthy mom, healthy baby. Everything was fine, but something felt wrong. And that little something that felt wrong nags at them for years. And it becomes this tremendous, um, it can even even present as PTSD. Because a lot of women feel like, I feel like I was raped in the hospital. You're walking around with a healthy baby, but you feel like you were raped in the process. That's a pretty gnarly thing to have to carry forth as a new mom yeah or- that's
1: significant mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah i, I yeah.
1: watch up uh, <clears throat> sister wives which is it's a funny show um i don't think i know it they're a uh, sister wife there it's a mormon family and um it's like the story of their life and they have like 28 kids all home births and they share like the most beautiful stories about it and one of the moms said, I've had 16 kids and they've all been at home. And she was like, I heal super fast. I feel uh, just really comfortable and safe. And it actually showed one of the moms and she was just laying in bed watching her show and just started having a baby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: the dad came over to her side and was like, oh, my God, you're having a baby. And then it was just a year and it did make me like a little bit empowered like oh my god I could just have a kid at home like that's crazy you don't die you don't like bleed out you don't know nothing happened but I do wonder um what that looks like as far as like insurance because a lot of people like myself work for these corporate companies and they'll be like these are the assigned doctors you can see and sure. home births are expensive right if they're out of pocket can you yeah. touch on that
0: yeah totally totally um I'm looking at some of the data because I have these numbers mm-hmm. kind of available because I look at them all the t- time um all right, so here's some of the data on, on birth. So we have hospital birth and then we have what's called out-of-hospital birth, which is generally considered, uh, it's going to be ho- out-of-hospital at a birth center or a home birth, or in a very unlikely scenario, a free birth where you're not having, you don't have anybody attending your birth. The number of out-of-hospital births has increased from 0.8% in 2004 to 1.6% five years ago in 2017. So that's a double, it was a doubling over a matter of about, what is that, 13 years. It doesn't seem like a lot, but when you have so many babies being born every year, um, I think it's something like, I want to say it's something like a couple hundred thousand babies per year, something like that. I can't remember. Maybe maybe more, I don't know. Um, but if you have a doubling in the amount, that's a pretty, pretty big number of people who are choosing to do that. The issue with that is... Um, Who is able to do that and why? Why are they choosing to do that? So we won't get into the why, because I think we've kind of gotten into that a little bit. But it's predominantly white women who are doing this now. And the vast majority are paying out of pocket.
1: Okay, they are.
0: They are. Um, And that is because most insurance companies have not contracted with the midwives to cover their service. And that is perhaps there's perhaps some intention there from the, I
1: definitely think there's some intention there. Absolutely not. We're not going to pay for you to have this beautiful, natural, uh, symbiotic thing happen to you.
0: Right. Right. The, The tricky part about that is if an insurance company would pay for that, instead of paying for a hospital birth, the insurance company would save money. So I'm not exactly sure if I understand economically why it makes sense to continue that, but you know, I won't get into the history. Of my I'll, I'll give you one.
1: Uh, I'll give you yeah. one reason why is because people have super complications with hospital births that requires them to have to go back to the doctor multiple, multiple times. Like they screwed up my epidural. If I had a dollar for every time someone told me that their epidural was screwed up, I'd have at least twenty dollars. <laughs> so
0: right, but that would that would actually that would actually support what I'm saying. What I I mean is when you have a hospital birth, you have more complications, you have longer hospitalization, you have all these other tools and things that cost money. So it Mm -hmm. would make sense if the insurance companies were like, hey, listen, hospitals, we get it, but it's cheaper if if my clients who's paying me to insure them has a home birth. So I'm actually going to support the home birth. It would make sense because it would actually save the insurance companies probably a billion dollars per year to be doing that. So Mm -hmm. I actually don't see a financial incentive. Now, the hospitals are also responsible for driving up healthcare costs. I did a recent episode with Sandra Alvarez. I think it was number 91 on my podcast, uh, where we talk about this battle between Highmark and UPMC in the city of Pittsburgh in uh, their efforts to monopolize the region. And what happens is that um, in a hospital, if you were to crank up the, the, the cost of, let's say, a night, you know, an overnight stay the insurance company is still only going to give you so much money. So they want to reap as much money as they can. So they charge $50 for a box of cornflakes, $20 for a Band-Aid. Like it's insane what the hospitals are charging because they know the insurance company is going to meet them somewhere in the middle between what the bare minimum they're going to pay and what they've actually been asked for. So the hospitals are going to squeeze every last drop out, which is why insurance is actually so expensive in the United States. It's one part of it. But there's a whole bunch of contributors to healthcare costs home birth cost. I just asked my midwifery community a couple of days ago. Um, what are you charging for home birth? And it ranges from like $1,600 to $6,500, depending on where you're living and what I guess the profit is. I don't, I didn't ask that, but, um, that's a heck of a lot of money up front. However, when we had a baby, we had a hospital birth and then we had a home birth or second, and then I joined the Clippers. So no more babies for us, but mm-hmm. the, uh, I collected all of the bills from our hospital birth. And if you add up all of the clinic visits, all of the unnecessary ultrasounds and everything else, and you actually total up what the cost was, even the part that you're responsible for as the, as the patient, you're in the, you end up spending more money having a hospital birth out of pocket, despite having insurance, than you would just saying, here's a lump sum to the midwife who's gonna care for you in a better way than doctors will. They're gonna have longer visits with you. They're gonna have more frequent checkups in your home and then they bring everything to your birth. You don't even have to rush to the hospital. And they're seeing you for six weeks regularly postpartum, if not longer. And they're helping you with the baby. It's like a one-stop shop. And for five grand, you get everything you need. If you compare the bills from the co-payments and the unnecessary ultrasounds and all the other lab work and everything, and the hospitalization, which in and of itself is extraordinarily expensive, compare those bills with the, the cost of one time fee of let's say five grand for a, a midwife you are going to be you're going to be roughly even there if not saving money by going with the home birth so um, the issue I guess is that not a lot of people, and especially since this is largely white women who are doing this, um, not a lot of people, um, even white women, have five grand that are just like here here's five grand um, mm-hmm. so so it's it's complicated um, but there are some states that have up to 8% out of hospital births. Alaska has 8%. Idaho and Washington, 3.8%. Pennsylvania, 3.5%. Probably because of the Pennsylvania Dutch. What the, about Utah? I don't have that listed here. So it's, it must fall somewhere in the middle, but I will say that Utah actually knowing Utah and knowing Idaho and, and Montana and whatnot, there actually is a fairly high proportion of babies coming at home and, and out of hospital. Okay, so so.
1: Um, mm-hmm. is that where you are, Utah? No, it, that's where like the, a lot of the Mormon communities are
0: and yeah, they believe yeah.
1: strongly in home births. So,
0: and they have like six kids, each family. So, <laughs> yes,
1: yes I, exactly. So I don't want to keep you too long. I have had you for an hour and you've been very generous with your time. But I did want to ask you um, if you could tell the listeners what you are doing on your podcast in case they want to dive a little bit further into this information and hear it straight from the source. What do you got going on with your podcast?
0: Yeah, my podcast is called The Holistic OBGYN, The Holistic OBGYN Podcast. And I've got plenty of episodes here uh, on the show that I think your listeners would probably find very helpful um the conversations i'm having are not as strictly clinical actually far more far less clinical than what we've what we've gone through today but we talk a lot about birth we talk about a lot about death um we talk about um improving maternity care um i also have an episode that i'm very proud of it was episode i believe 72 a briefish history of western medicine witches and women healers which you heard a rendition of that i believe on another show um
1: i actually listened to that episode as well Because I I listened to you on the Crow 777, then I went and listened to your episode 72, and then I was like, oh boy, this is everything that I love. So,
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is a can of worms to open up with that episode. That was about four months worth of research, and there are plenty of books for people out there that want to really understand the history of how we got here. I am not heretical for the sake of Rattling Cages. I can't unsee what I've seen in reading about the history of modern OBGYN. So uh, the practice of OBGYN. So, anyways, you can find the podcast anywhere. I would love it if, um, if if you hear an episode, you're listening to this episode, you go and find my podcast. If you find something that resonates, please share it. Please send me a message. Tell me I'm going, doing a good job. Leave a review. That's really, as a podcaster, you know, that's kind of one of the only things that really matters. If people share your work, you're just like, ah, oh, I did
1: something yes, right. Yes. So that's absolutely. the best way to support
0: me. Um, and then, of mm-hmm. course, I have a practice that's at BelovedHolistics.com. Everything, including the podcast, is available there where I work with midwives, I work with doulas, a lot of midwives are struggling to find collaborative physicians. So I serve that role across the country for many midwives. And um, I see clients one on one, although I'm going to have to hold off, I think, on one on one clients for a couple months, because I'm getting uh, overbooked. So Mm -hmm. um, you can find all of that stuff. And then of course, on the Instagrams and all of that, it's Nathan Riley, OBGYN. People on TikTok hate my guts. People on Instagram love me, um, and it's, it's why do they hate content. you
1: on TikTok?
0: It's the same content. People just uh, they see it as misogynistic to say things like "Hey, birth control's you know a, a bad deal." Um,
1: that's called uh, Stockholm. Well, it's
0: Here's a little another bit of
1: something home. I talk sure. about on my yep. show is stockholms. Yep. So. Yep. Um, I do want to say thank you. You're not misogynistic. I love your work and I want more people to go and check that out. So thank you so much. Um, And then I'll include all of your links and everything in the show so people can find you and I'll tag you on Instagram when this uh, episode comes out. But um, yes, thank you so much for your time.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. And if you have like little media assets and whatnot, like audiograms or whatever, let me know ahead of time uh, when it's going to be released and I'll pop it into my social media calendar to, to, you know, support your work whenever the episode comes out.
1: That would be great. Thank you so much. And if people have questions about anything that, that they hear in this episode, can they just ask you a question? on instagram yeah
0: you you can i i do all of my own message you know reception and and responding on instagram Mm -hmm. so um and then of course there's a submission form where i answer those emails as well through the website so
1: okay great well thank you so much and to all my listeners thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one
0: You in sleep.